Hello everyone and welcome back to In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 1990s. We took a week off. It, it had to happen. Wasn't actually planned, but... I had a tooth explode, so y'all just fucking bear with. You should back up off that microphone just a little bit. I am bit. backing up <laughs> off the microphone. I did. I backed up. Okay. That I looks, that looks a little up. better. Yeah, it's the summer of the root canal. Boy, howdy. I mean, it's the summer of the world turning to shit, but it's it's also, on a more personal level, it's the summer of the root canal. <laughs> yeah. Because I've had one, and you're getting one tomorrow, but before that, you had a tooth extracted. Yep. And it's just been one fucking thing after another. Both of us were too exhausted to talk about music last week. I'm sorry. We failed you. We missed a week, but we're back this week, and we're going to talk about the two albums we were supposed to talk about last week. And uh, we're going to kick that off with uh, Hadrian's album for the week, which is Rubberneck by the Toadies, and I'm so... Tell me what year this is from. That's how... Uh, fuck, 1994, I believe? I think it's 94, but let's make sure. Yes, it is 94, yes. if, if Spotify is correct, which is Well, I, I remember looking it up, and also I remember being cognizant of this album in 94. Uh, but yeah, so, fucking Toadies, man, they fucking rock. And this is their debut album, and it's great. And that's it. We're done with the show. <laughs> uh, we're gonna sign it up. Uh, this podcast is very short this week, because this should be the new number one, and we're done. Uh, so, really, you, I... You can't possibly believe it's that good. I really love this album. It's very good, but it's it's not so better what, than what I, the, the best way to describe this album is 90s creature rock, I think, is a good is a good descriptor. It's very X-Files adjacent, and it definitely has that vibe. So, I don't know what year the X-Files started, but it was very, like, neck and neck with Twin Peaks. And so, 94 seems like a It was good definitely one. later than Twin Peaks. Yeah, no, it's a, a couple but, of years later. Yeah, but it was it was in the same vein as Twin Peaks. And yeah, it just, it's like this all. Fits there was in that. a more general like thing going on at this point in the nineties of like cryptids and and like freak shows and and this album definitely like slots right into that pretty handily. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of like that drive in just like schlock schlock nostalgia, and this is definitely a lot of that. So. The the Toadies are a Texas band, and they make no qualms of telling you that they're a Texas band in virtually every song that they sing, and every song they perform. And it, it's and I love that about them because they they're tapping into a Texas mystique that isn't shown ever. Because when you think about Texas, you think about you know just aggressive white people being shit minorities, even though they're actually a minority in Texas and. And outside of Austin, you're pretty much correct about that. Yeah, and but so <laughs> the Toadies so are from Fort Worth. Now. They're from Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, okay. So 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 get take take that mm. name out your mouth. So yeah, and the Toadies present a very it's 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 not quite psychobilly, but is definitely coming from a psychobilly vein. Like if given one other like inclination they could have been performing with Reverend Horton Heat. Like that's just like one chord shift away from this being Psycho Billy, but they're not. I and think they're way more coming from a Stevie Ray Vaughan like blues heavy blues rock kinda. Kind yeah, of but place. I but I think there's there's a it was it was a, a chosen distinction. They 
work in that same realm of just like creature fiction that would be rife in psychobilly and it, it's i don't know the toadies are their own thing and they're still great like i listened to some of the movies and stuff yeah yeah i Over. saw them live uh, what two or three years ago yeah. and it was a good show i definitely if you like if you like mid-90s alt-rock and the toadies come to your town i recommend <laughs> you go see them because i had a good time yeah so this album is a lot of it's a, it's a debut album in a lot of ways like it 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 opens interestingly. I don't mind Mexican hairless. I know Natalie has some qualms about opening with this instrumental track. You want me to just get my whole thing out get, of the get way? Get your right thing now? out of the way. Okay, so the Toadies listened to the 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 nineteen eighty eight release from the Pixies <sighs> called Surfer Rosa, and then they wrote an album. Oh, she's such a fucking asshole, y'all. <laughs> and. And there are other influences too, like like Stevie Ray Vaughan and like some Nirvana and some more obscure stuff. But fuck me, this album sounds so much like the Pixies, and that instrumental track sounds like a Pixies instrumental track. And we can revisit this later when we get to the song Tyler. I'll save it for then. But I just want to get that out there that this is a good album, and also. Sometimes, we're, we're going to talk about this during the second album tonight, I have a personal story of this. Sometimes you listen to an album so much, and then you sit down to write music, and you accidentally write a song that was by the band that you've been listening to a lot. <laughs> I've done it. I'll talk about a time that I did it when we get to our second album tonight. But the, you cannot talk about this album and not talk about Surfer Rosa in the same, same breath. Like, this is their first album. There's nothing wrong with being influenced by the Pixies. Pixies were arguably the greatest band of the 80s. But, like, let's just get it out there. This sounds a fuck lot like the Pixies. I, I, I don't get the same vibe from it, but I get there are some inclinations towards the Pixies. I don't think it's as direct as Natalie is making it, because some one of us is given to... Um, hyperbole when it comes to music comparisons and it's not me so <laughs> i mean it's me a little bit but we'll get to tyler mostly natalie we'll get to tyler so yeah uh my favorite songs on this album are backslider possum kingdom away i come from the water tyler and i burn i like most of this album i think backslider is is the best song which is weird because i really fucking hate stevie ray vaughn style blues rock and that's kind of what that song is. Well, that, that that song is basically about being like, uh, religious practice is fucking weird, yo. It, that's kind of this whole album is a, it, it's it, like if this had to slot into the X Files like hierarchy, this is a cult episode yes, for sure, very much. And that, that, that's definitely aside from a way, which is very much a vampire song. Uh, but yeah, it, it's so the. When people talk about this album, they kind of get some of the the impressions wrong, and I want to set some of that correct, some, some 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 of that you know right. So I burn, which is the last song on the album, technically comes before the song Possum Kingdom. Yes. Uh, and in the band's uh construction of these pieces, I burn is about a cult practice, and you know self-immolation and burning for the purity of, you know, your cult. 
and Possum Kingdom is about a member of said cult finding new members. And... But also as a ghost. Yes, as a ghost. So, you'll, you'll stay as, as, as pure forever. I, Possum Kingdom is a great song. It's the song you've probably heard if you've not listened to the Toadies in 30 years. Uh, and, and I believe still their biggest hit that they they ever had. I, I really I think so. I think so too. I mean they they still they're still doing music and it still sounds great. But the fucking Possum Kingdom just like hits. And I was driving through Fayetteville, Arkansas, with this blaring out my windows because I was a real asshole. And people sped away from me as fast as they could when "Do You Wanna Die" <laughs> just came out of my window. <laughs> So, like, like, I have no control over this Toadie song, y'all. Listen. But this is an album you really want to just crank high and just drive to. It's definitely a good, like, play it loud album. It, it You feel it, like, it vibrates, and I, I, I attribute a lot of that to the bassist. Um, I forget her name, but she's no longer with the band. But their early albums were very driven by the way that she played. And that's very present on this album. Like, if you look at the original cover art for this, or the back cover art, she is the one wearing a hockey jersey, and she's fucking amazing! And the, the, the later music is similar, but doesn't have that same, just like, this heavy, just, bass you feel. And these, these songs, you play them loud because you can just feel that bass in your soul. And it really makes you just, you just feel that and it's fine it's good and that's music we want music to do that and when we don't want music to do that is papa roach (laughs) (laughs) lisa umbarger was the basis name i'm sure i'm pronouncing her last name i I remember i I remembered lisa but i didn't remember the rest of it so yeah amazing bassist and that's why early toadies music sounds the way it does um so uh, a good thing to note um so I Come From the Water is another... So the, the band is very steeped in Texas lore. And uh, brain-eating amoeba is a big problem in Texas lakes. Because of course it is. And that's a real Texas. This seems like a real Texas problem. And I Come From the Water is based on lakes in Texas where brain-eating amoeba thrive. So um, an amoeba becomes a man when it comes on the shore... And this is the story of an amoeba suffering in the, the brain of a person. That's fun, isn't it? Everyone, just get get eat, get eat by an amoeba. I mean, are you saying it wouldn't be better than what we got at this point? <laughs> Maybe not. So, so the point I want to make about this album is that, you know, it's impossible for me to listen to this and not want to compare it to a bunch of different stuff. But here's why that's okay, because this is 1994. Uh, I don't know what month this came out. Kurt Cobain might have just killed himself when this album came out. This is post-Nirvana. It's essentially post-grunge. Like Grunge is corporatized and in its death throes. Kurt Cobain talked incessantly about how much he loved the Pixies. Pixies are his favorite band or the greatest band of all time, etc., etc. He's not necessarily wrong. Um, I feel like the Toadies were one of the first bands to be able to pull all those influences together 
and also have their own thing. And and I don't want to like understate the importance of that because if you take yourself back to 1994 and just the shit show that that grunge was quickly becoming with everybody, you know, either killing themselves or you know, overdosing or whatever and all the, you know, candlebox radio friendly bullshit that was coming out of yeah. it. Obviously, it was time for a change. And this is how you were going to get there. You know, this is the postmodern, the kickoff of the postmodern 90s, which would be the aesthetic for the rest of the decade. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, they sound like the Pixies. Yes, they sound like Blues Rock. Yes, they sound, there's some Nirvana in there. Um, But they have combined all that stuff in a way that, with one glaring exception, (laughs) is is their own thing and a lot of how they get there is the lyrics um i think the lyrics are really good in a style that i don't like a whole lot a lot of the time um but they invoke imagery in a way that i think functions in this music quite well it's not kitschy they they do the like we're gonna sing about cults and swamps and shit in a way that's not like southern culture on the skids or doesn't sound like it's making fun of it yeah it's more um, just like, Texas is fucked up, yo. Yeah, and it is. And that's why I like Backslider so much. Yes. Because Backslider is such a, like, I listen to that song and I think to the Preacher comics. Yeah, and so, and to, to give context for this, the, the song is primarily about a uh, Baptist baptism. Which means that, like, not every Southern Baptist baptism occurs. A ritual I have gone through. I have not gone through this. Um... <laughs> So not every Southern Baptist baptism happens in a body of water. Um, no, mine happened in a baptismal in a church, but I was baptized in a Southern Baptist church. But many Southern baptisms happen in lakes. Yeah. And so it's like you wade into the water and someone holds you under until you're about to fucking die. And you come up for air and you see Jesus. And you don't necessarily see Jesus, but it's the kind of like the transformation of coming from almost death to rebirth. That's what the baptism is. So the the Catholic idea of like sprinkling water on the head is real chaste compared to Baptists being like, you're going to fucking almost die. <laughs> and then you're going to come back up to life because you're being reborn in the Baptist church. And it, it's... Yeah, mine was much quicker than that. Not, nobody, the, the person, the guy who baptized me was a real piece of shit, but he... Uh... He didn't try to kill me. I'll yeah. give him that. <laughs> I, I know many I know many Baptist preachers who have done the, the full 30 seconds under the water where you think you're about to fucking die. No, situation. mine was very much, don't back up. Yeah, no, it's very much you need to see Jesus and come back up. And that's not great, but it is a way to make you fear God. <laughs> and a lot of this album is talking about psychological horror and trauma coming into the, the reality of things. So the... The horror concept of being eaten alive by an abrading amoeba is in "I Come from the Water," but you don't really. But you get it from the amoeba's point of view, which is very odd. I I don't know. And the amoeba's just like, I want to go back to the water. Jesus, this is not great. And I love I love that. Um, a way I've always gotten a real vampire vibe from because it's like uh, when I go out to hunt at night. And I'll leave the door open when I'm away. It, it, it's a very just like yeah. trailer park vampire vibe, which I dig. Yeah. 
I'm I'm very into that aesthetic when it comes to which monsters. again is sort of preacher y. Preachery. You know. I mean, the X-Files. vampire in that comic is Irish, but he's pretty trashy. Oh, I fucking love him! But yeah, it's 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 horror. We we have a tendency to glamorize horror, and the Toadies were very on the nose when it came to horrors not glamorous. Horrors every day. Which I think dovetails nicely into the song Tyler, which before Natalie gets into her diatribe about <laughs> Tyler, this song, if you listen to it, and let's do it now, we'll pause. That song is about a uh, urban legend of the Tyler Stalker. So the song is not romantic in any way. Hopefully you didn't get that impression. Because <laughs> I did. Uh, I, I, to be fair, I don't. <laughs> Don't do the letter kidney joke. <laughs> to be fair, I did not catch the part in the last verse where he says, I came in through the window. If That's I had fair. caught that, it would have changed my, uh, the, you know, I didn't catch it the first so time. So early on in that song, she, like, she runs through her days and I wait. I mean, that that could be a love song. And I wait. Yeah, no, no, no. That song is not, no, that's a no-go zone. The song is a no-go yeah. zone. But it's about the Tyler Stalker, which was a urban legend about a stalker in Tyler, Texas, which is outside of the greater Dallas area, uh, which is Dallas-Fort Worth, greater Dallas area. And I liked that. I like, Obviously, I don't like that because I don't want to live in Tyler, Texas with that nonsense going on. But I like that connection to Texas folklore and, you know, urban legends. I'm really into incorporating that into greater culture and music because this album is kind of a undercurrent of Texas culture that doesn't get talked about enough. When we think about Texas, we think about barbecue and racists, and it's not great. <laughs> well, and barbecuing racists would be great, but racists who are barbecuing. I said not barbecue so and racists. Oh, I thought you said barbecuing racists. No. Barbecue and ampers and racists. <laughs> Ice, Ice Cube has a song about barbecue and racists, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not all of Texas. And I, I will, uh, and like I, I firmly want to say that as someone who lived in Dallas, I lived in Dallas in ninety five to ninety six, so I don't claim any great love of the area or connection outside of going to the L. L. Hotchkiss Elementary School. But <laughs> I have not. I mean, I've spent time in Texas. Um, I've been to Dallas. I've been to mostly Dallas. I've never been to Austin. Um, Austin's great. I've been to Austin. But my impression is uh, I've not had great interactions with people from Texas. I'll just put that out there, except people from Austin. Um, I, but on the other hand, like, a part of me feels like the most accurate representations of Texas are King of the Hill and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I'll accept that. King of the Hill is really accurate. It, it's, it, King like, of Hill is, is really accurate for the like greater like Dallas area, even though it's not it, it's further south than the Dallas area. Yeah. I feel it, like people who aren't from the south or haven't spent a lot of time here don't get what a gentle satire King of the Hill is. I, I think they think that it's like Mike Judge really like, you know, 
making fun of those hicks. It's like, no. no, Mike Judge liked those people, and, like, rightfully so, for the most part. Yeah, though there's a lot of love in King of the Hill, and it comes through. And, and my dad is literally Hank Hill. Your dad so, is so like, Hank Hill. It's, I have a soft spot in my heart for <laughs> Hank Hill. Your dad has almost actually made the Rrr! sound. He has, he has Hank Hill's body. <laughs> <laughs> Your mother has Peggy's hair. Let's. My mom has some things in common with Peggy Hill. <laughs> but yeah, um, this album is a a slice of Texas that you need to understand and love. And I'll let you tell your bit about the the song Tyler, even though I think she's wrong. So if you heard the song. From the 1988 album by the Pixies called Where Is My Mind, which is the Toadies sure had, and they gave it new lyrics and called it Tyler. I've said my piece. That song is, I think, an accidental carbon copy of Where Is My Mind, because if you're gonna rip off the Pixies that blatantly, why would you rip off their, like, second best-known song? I, I, I honestly don't think it was... I, I, I don't I don't hear it. I don't know how you don't hear it. It's the exact same bass line minus one note. <sighs> There's goes dun 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 and the Pixies went dun 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 Well, you know, David Bowie wasn't involved, so no one got sued. So I'm going to talk about this more when we talk about her second album and how one might accidentally write a song that is almost identical to a song one has listened to recently. <laughs> but yeah, I highly recommend listening to this album if you have any in interest in, you know, Texas rock and Texas folk culture and just anything like that because it, 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 it hits a nice medium on all of that. And it's a good album. It's the kind of thing you want to put on in a bar, have a beer too, and probably start a fight too, but I'm not condoning you do that, but it's an album you can have a fight to. As someone who has watched the Toadies live while drinking a beer in a bar, I second that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's good bar music, and my whole life was mostly just having wild, like, associations with the lyrics. So I was in the back of a car with my parents and thinking about stories and like my my mom loved this album. Like this is one of my mom's favorite albums. I'm not putting words in her mouth. I think this is considering how many times I heard this um, t alongside like Oingo Boingo. Uh, <laughs> my mom likes this album a bit. And I just, I, it was one of those early inspirations of thinking about things from a a twisted sense of like if a way is about vampires i like that more than dracula in a castle i like the idea of people living in a trailer <laughs> being vampires i don't know it, it just felt more real and i liked that kind of just like everyday horror aspect of it. yeah it's 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 really good the lyrics are probably the high point for me because a lot of this is not music that i like would love under other circumstances oh, but they're but, so great like they they like the fucking just well there's so so the rest of that statement was there's just enough of the pixies in there to make the blues weird mm -hmm. and so that's like i can handle like some weird some weird blues i just don't want to be very fun 
Well, they have a lot of like time changes in between songs, like very complicated time changes too. And like they, these, these are musicians playing music. Like everyone in this band is just like top notch, like musician. And you you can't fault the you can't fault the toadies for that. All right. Well, we've talked about this one for a while, so hit me with where you want to rank this one. Um, number twelve. Uh, going straight for my heart, huh? Um, I think that's fine because we're gonna have a dream pop album coming up next that I think doesn't go higher than that. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm looking at what's underneath it. I. This is a you know we deal with the list we have. It's like I don't think it's that much better than Reachin, but I do think it's probably a little bit better. But also, there's a lot of other stuff in between that I think like this is better than Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone. It's um, it's better than Rag and Roll. I would not put it above Speech Sweet Creek, but that's you know I'm not gonna have that fight. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's I think number twelve is good. Yeah, that, no, it, it deserves to be known. It, it's it's a good album, and that's I wanted to put it higher, but I was not going to have that fight. I mean, so. music <laughs> it's better than what's the story, Morning Glory, but it's nowhere near like I would not put this above that just for the insane amount of influence that, that and that's importance that album the, has. That, I mean, that's kind of the reason I stopped at twelve because I was like. I can make the fight for 12. I can't put it over Oasis, even though I think this album is far better. But, yeah. Yeah. I think number 12 is, is a good spot for it. Yeah. All right, so let's put this one at number 12, and then we'll be back to talk about uh, Spooky by Lush. This week's second album is Spooky by Lush from 1992. This is the first real of of the time heyday of Shoe Days and Dream Pop British Shoe Days album we've done on this show. Um, so this album is extremely important to me. Um, or more specifically one song is extremely important to me because for love is the first two days song i ever heard i had a, well my best friend in i guess it would have been around 1992 um got a sega cd and with the first run of sega cds to show you that it could play audio cds you got a compilation audio cd that included some really good fucking shit. They Might Be Giants was on it. I'd already heard them before, so that one, it was cool to hear a song by them I hadn't heard. Throwing Muses was on it. Hadn't heard them before. Fucking great. Instantly in love with them. And, most importantly, For Love by Lush was on that. And sitting in my best friend's bedroom, listening to For Love on his new Sega CD, I fucking found my favorite kind of music. I think I, I would still put that in probably my top five favorite songs of all time. Um, Lush is not 
I wouldn't rank them as one of the absolute best shoegaze bands, really, um, because they kind of were always running from that label and running. Which is hilarious, considering how old their music was like, and now it's going to be swirly. Okay, well, so, so Lush is one of the bands that, so most people in America know who Wire is. Or at the time, in, in around this time, people in America found out who Wire was because of a band called Elastica that we will talk about eventually, who got sued by Wire because their song Line Up was just literally the exact same chord progression of Three Girl Rumba by Wire. And Wire was like, all right, everybody rips this off, but that's going too fucking far and successfully sued them. So around that time, Lush was also out there like, we fucking love Wire, Wire's the best band of all time, we formed a band to play like Wire, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, this fucking sounds nothing like Wire. It, like, so, here's here's the brief history of Lush, is that after they formed, they put out a series of EPs that are really, really good. Uh, they were produced by Robin Guthrie from the Cocteau Twins. And ironically, Robin Guthrie, when the Tocto Twins first went into a recording studio, was produced by one of the guys from The Associates, and he fucking hated everything about the experience. The Associates are very bad at recording music, and that's totally justified. So the ironic thing is, Spooky, or, I mean, Lush said almost exactly the same shit about Robin Guthrie that he said about the guy from The Associates. Just, we went into the studio, he tried to make us sound like a different band, he tried to make us sound like his band, that we don't sound like that, we're a punk rock band, we like Wire, we, we're not the Tocto Twins... But then they proceeded to, so they put out all those EPs, that those got released, those got collected and released here as uh, the album Gala, but we're not going to talk about Gala because it's technically a compilation album, even though that stuff didn't really get released here any other way, but it's pretty obviously a compilation if you listen to it, and so as much as I want to, we're not going to rank that album, at least not on our main list. If we ever do another list, maybe we'll find a way to talk about it. So Spooky is their first full-length album. Again, it was produced by Robin Guthrie, and that's very, very obvious. Even more obvious than it was on their EPs. Oh, yeah. No, there's a way that the, the sound blossoms in this album. It's just like, I don't know much about things, but I know what Robin Guthrie's production sounds like. And I'll be like, yeah, no, this motherfucker hates the... <laughs> Well, and you can hear how, from a songwriting standpoint, this is definitely not that much like the Tocto Twins for yes. the most part. There are a few songs that clearly are. But so, like, something about Lush is that they said at one point, and who knows if this was, like, the idea from the beginning or if they, like, came upon this later. They said that they named their band Lush because it can mean something, like, swirly and beautiful or it can mean, like, a drunk asshole. Yeah. And that's they felt like that encompassed their personalities and their style of music. I can hear that. <laughs> so, so yeah. The, so you can tell by the songwriting that this could be a lot more like rock music. But then Robin Guthrie just buries it in so much whooshiness. <laughs> like yes. the amount of phase shifter and flanger on this album. Two effects that I normally don't like very much. Every song is just drowning in them, and it sounds great <laughs> because Robin Guthrie did it. So, like the song "Untogether" uh, mm -hmm. is a good example where it just has these little, like the amount of 
fucking production and the number of tracks of of shit that are going on in that song and i mean it'll that just be like so fucking good though yeah and it'll just have these little like they'll hit a chord and it's just tremolo but it's just like like off into the distance it's like i mean i i got a little i got a little up my own ass writing notes for this album <laughs> i yeah, said it was my like, i said it was like going off like uh shooting stars through the, like through the mix and, and some shit like that <laughs> yeah untogether is one of my favorite songs on this album super blast and monochrome and then probably nothing natural yeah like, so the three singles were nothing natural for love and super blast in that order super um, blast is real fucking good it's good i don't it's a weird single and i meant to look this up if i, I don't know if so in the uk um my favorite My Bloody Valentine song is To Hear Knows When, and that mm. song charted in the UK. Like, that's how big My Bloody Valentine got at one point. Because that song, if you, like, if you know which song I'm talking about, that song is, like, something that you would never in a million years think would ever get yeah. on a chart. Um, and I feel like maybe Super Blast being released as a single was, like, them trying to, like, ride the coattails of that a little well, bit. Well, like, Super Blast is kind of not like anything else they do. I mean, it's, it's similar... It's very much a lush song, but like it's not. It, it's if you listen to that and be like, "I'm gonna get this album," and you go, "Oh, what?" Like that would definitely be an "Oh, what?" moment. Yeah. The rest of the album. Well, so the stuff on Gala is a little bit closer to Super Blast. It's not again. It's not as big and whooshy as that song is, but like, it's it's similarly like. I mean, that song is like a rockin', you know, like for yeah. a, for a dream pop band. That's like. A pretty like punk rock ass song but untogether fuck that song is i've listened to that song i think like like 20 times when we were listening to this i i, I pulled my spotify like listen numbers and that was like the number one song for that week i was just like yeah no this song's <laughs> great <laughs> well I, I think that for love is one of the best songs ever written and definitely the best song on this album and like one of the best shoegaze and or dream pop songs it's those are so fucking pretty and it's very like it's very 60s twee pop like if you scrape off all the layers of chorus and reverb that mm -hmm. robin guthrie drenches it in which you shouldn't because it sounds gorgeous just like it is but like melodically that that's a very like tiger trap slash heavenly type of song <laughs> like it's it's extremely wistful you know um and my second favorite is Nothing Natural. Like, I, that song just kills. Yeah, that song is great, too. Um, but virtually, this this whole album's pretty good. Like, yeah, it has some slow points. Um, so, okay, so, I, I, kept, I, I keep foreshadowing this, so let's get into it. The song Covert, the band I was in in high school, accidentally covered that song. <laughs> <laughs> and one I of our friends, who was a drummer in a band that we sometimes did shows with, would sit in the audience and yell, you ripped off Lush, whenever we would start playing that song. <laughs> the difference is, we played it in 3-4 time, Lush plays it in 4-4. Four -four. But you can be listening to a song a whole lot, and then sit down to write a song, and accidentally write a song you've been listening to, and you don't even realize until someone tells you. So... It happened to me. It probably happened to the Toadies. <laughs> um, so I just I just want to get that out there. Um, yeah, like Together is awesome. Um, 
I, I think Ocean maybe was the, with a, like one of the songs I don't think is that great. Um, I wasn't super into Tiny Smiles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny Smiles is the worst song on the album. Yeah. It's yeah. not like bad, but it's just it's. I was like, next, please. Yeah. It, it's not one I ever like go out of my way to listen to. I actually ended up skipping that song. So my week was fairly involved, and I had to drive, you know, for several hours. But it came to down to it, and I was like listening to music that we were gonna do for this week and next week all in one, and I was like, "Fuck this!" and just skipping stuff at like eighty miles an hour on the interstate. So. Tiny Smiles was one of those songs. Yeah. I mean, Laura is a good song to drive fast to. Nothing Natural is a good song to drive fast to. Like, Oh yeah, that album got a pass beyond Tiny Smiles. I was just like, no, I'm done with this. Yeah, and Monochrome is, is so... Monochrome is so good. It's the last song on the album. And it's such a good like encapsulation of what came before it like it's such a good closer <laughs> yeah and it's gorgeous it swells in the way you want it to and it's just yeah it has really the verses are really sparse and really big choruses but not with like distortion like it's all clean and pretty through the whole thing but like it has just at like more instrumentation comes in on the chorus and i'm not the like super big Cocteau Twins fan that Natalie is. but well, I've been, nobody is. <laughs> but I can say that I think Robin Guthrie really understands the idea of an opener and a closer. And every Cocteau Twins album has that concept, which is like an mm-hmm. opener and a closer. And <clears throat> he tried to do this for Lush on this album. And Monochrome is a perfect closer. It's, it just it combines all these elements into one thing and you just flush it from your system. And I think it's great. It's for me, Monochrome is one of those last songs that just I immediately start the album over when it ends. Like it's so good. It's like um, you remember uh, the the DJ at the radio station I worked at, Quincy, who played that song, and then he was like, "That song's great. Let's hear it again." And just played <laughs> the same song twice. In a yep. Row. That's we, like this album for me. That's what Monochrome does. Is we like, both worked at that radio station. That's, well, yeah, I know, but I you haven't. I don't know that you've. Oh yeah, you have talked about it on on this show before. Yeah, and I, and I've also met Quincy because there was one time where he was filling in for. Bow and did much of the same thing before my show. Quincy so. was a cool ass motherfucker from Ghana who who did a reggae show on the station and was one of the funnier people I've ever met. He and did he, mostly dance hall music. It was not, he it, did a lot of dance hall. He did some reggae, mostly. You're right, mostly dance hall. Um, <laughs> one time we were having a meeting. And he watched because we were discussing like what it was okay to say on the air or like what lyrics, like you know, just having one of those like what can we get away with conversations. And Quincy just happened to like stick his head in the door and he was like, What about slob on my knob? Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the songs I play say that. <laughs> Oh my god, I miss Quincy so much. I, I, loved, I, miss, I loved Quincy. Quincy was great, and I missed that whole era of the radio station, too, because it was just so much more fun. So at that yeah. time, I was doing a Baroque classical show in which I ended up playing a lot of Wendy Carlos because I was an asshole, and then I did a glam rock show because, of course, I did. And 
I miss it sometimes. Anyway, getting back to Lush. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I can go off about how much I love this all night long. Um, what What's your, I mean, you've, you've, you've chimed in, but like as somebody who is not as, not the just utter dream pop nerd that I am, like, do you think this is like some of the better dream pop? I mean, like, I assume that like me, you recognize the Tocto twins as the pinnacle of the genre. <laughs> Well, I mean, I have some reservations, but I think this is a good album. I think that I think this is very definitive of Dream Pop, and when you think about Dream Pop, Flush is the first name that comes to Like, fuck. Even on Salty Bet, saltybet.com, we have a Lush song on our on the playlist there. Which one is it? Oh, I is don't fucking like, remember. Is it Lady Killers? Is it some of the later The like, album's Orange. Stuff? I don't remember. Um, yeah, anyway, is. Lush is everywhere. Like, like, it sort of like creeps in because it's just this nice, nice swell of music. And even when they say like, "We think Robin Guthrie overproduced us," blah, blah, overproduced us, blah blah blah. I'm like, you sound the same outside <laughs> of this album. Well, the, so their next album, Split, definitely stripped things back, but not that much. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's like they went from like 75 tracks per song to like. 35 tracks per song you know it's yeah. it's not stripped down by any stretch of the imagination like i fucking i, I didn't i saw them on tv i was I, I didn't see them live but i saw them perform on television and fucking emma anderson was running her guitar through a fucking stereo cabinet setup on stage <laughs> so i don't want to hear about how stripped down split was after spooky even though it's you know it doesn't have like three tracks of phase shifted guitar on on every song like this does. No, but I, I think this is I think this is a good album, and I think it's very indicative of what Dream Pop sounds like. If I if I wanted to hand Dream Pop to somebody, I would go to Lush first because I think it's a, a nice introduction. Yeah, I mean, I did hear them before I heard the Cocteau Twins, and I I first time I heard the Cocteau Twins, I actually kind of hated them. It's that's my horrible confession for the night. <laughs> I was like, man, this isn't nearly as good as Lush. Um, and then I realized the error of my ways. In a story I will tell when we talk about Four Calendar Cafe. Um, but yeah, like For Love, just I cannot, I cannot overstate the the effect that song had on on me. Um, just I, I hear it very often. <laughs> Coming, I will be sitting in another part of this house, and then. Ooh, I mean, just starts happening. Fuck, like just the. I've had a few mind blowing, you know. Hearing my bloody Valentine for the first time was pretty mind blowing, but like, for love, just I mean, it was the first, you know. It just completely. I had no idea there was something that sounded like it out there, and finding it, it was just like I'm, I'm home. I found, I found my music, and so. Spooky is not my favorite album of all time, but like that song will always be, you know, that, that's like a, a play it at my funeral song. <laughs> Noted. I will add this to my memory banks. <laughs> Don't be so sure that I'm doing first. <laughs> <laughs> it, statistically, probably not. <laughs> okay, so... um I don't feel like we've said much that's substantial about this album, but it's like 
I, I don't know. Give, give me your moonshot, and I'll tell you why no. Uh, four. So I would put it between Liberation and the Philosophy of Momus. How about six? Mm-hmm. Fetch Up Boys album's way better. No, it's it's not. Madeline. <laughs> it's it's not doing any lower than six. So I I, I mean I could go lower. I was no. being kind. Um. Okay, if we must. I was willing to put this above the philosophy of Momus. Just just putting that out there. Maybe the philosophy of Momus is better. I don't, but... Okay, so... Number... I think the philosophy of Momus is better. Yeah, listen, well... Listen to me sometimes, Momus. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> That's, we can all be wrong about things. It's okay. Um, Alright, so number six is where Spooky is going to land. Oh yeah, we did it! We did it, y'all! Wait, what? Who's we? Just wait. Just just wait until you read that top ten list. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I see. <laughs> well, that's that's never changing again. <laughs> it has to. Yeah, I know. Um, okay, so that makes our, our top ten... At number ten is ten by the by Pearl Jam. Hell yeah, it is. Uh, number nine, without you, I'm nothing by Placebo. At number eight, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number seven, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. At number six is Spooky by Lush. Number five, Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. And at number one, Nonsuch by XTC. And, yeah, we still have two Americans hanging in there in the top ten. <laughs> oh, wait, no, three, Placebo. Well, he went to school at Luxembourg and mostly lived in England, so, yeah, he counts, I guess. I, th- I thought they were... Is he, oh. is he British? So, Brian Mocha was born in America, but went to school at Luxembourg and lived primarily in England. Okay. And Stefan is from Luxembourg. <laughs> So <laughs> okay, so not really then. Yeah. So really, it's just Pearl Jam. They're, that's why they got. Qu- that's why they got quit as a Britpop band. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so if you want to see our full rankings, you can go to bitly slash nr nineteen nineties. That's bit dot ly slash nr one nine nine zero s. You can also go on Spotify and search for nr nineteen nineties to find our official show playlist which contains every album that we have ranked, and those will be ranking next week, and you can find all the episodes of the show there as well. So, that only leaves one thing. What are you bringing next week, Adrian? Uh, a real asshole album called uh, New Wave by the Auteurs. Call your album New Wave in the 90s. You just look at this whole album. And you call your band the Auteurs. Just... I've heard this album before, but I don't remember it much at all. Uh. I took a showgirl for my wife. Yeah, that's is like, the first line of this song, uh, of this album. Sorry, my voice is breaking. That's way more than I remember about it. So next week, I'm bringing our second, I think, Christian alternative act. Uh, yeah, because I brought the first one with. Yeah, six I couldn't remember if there was another one since then. So, 
We Are the Music Makers by Joy Electric, a band that I am excited to talk about because they're pretty fucking wild for a Christian band. And also, their their song titles just wildly outstrip what anything anything their music actually does. If you have Christendom on white horses, if you have not seen the the picture of Ronnie Martin from the inside album cover, I want you to just look it up right now. <laughs> look up, see if you can find the album art. Not not the front cover. This is what you saw when you opened up the CD. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! We should do this on camera. So, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. on mic. I might. I might just. I might just make that the uh, the like cover art for the podcast next week. I'd have to find a way to scan it though. Just try to describe what this good Christian boy looks like in that picture. Jesus loved the stat. He he looks like he's about to tell you that that a man is just a miserable pile of secrets. Yeah, but for Jesus and, <laughs> and oh. a man is a miserable pile of secrets, and that's why you need Jesus. Oh man, what do you, what are you doing, son? Why you love so, Jesus so much? So so people t- talked about this as being like. You know, they saw that picture and they were like, oh, this is Joy Electric's goth album. But no, he was like, well, it's really more of my new romantic album. Hey, son, I got a real open your eyes moment for you. (laughs) A lot of the new romantics were fucking goth. (laughs) I don't know none of these sons of bitches who don't know nothing about Adamant. So, so yeah, We Are the Music Makers by Joy Electric is, is my album for next week, so... Go out there and listen to those. I have a feeling it's gonna get real pretentious up in this bitch next. Oh my god, my album is so it's fuck. Just mm, you're in for a treat. It's it's gonna be a battle for the ages next week. So get your cravat on and your your ascot and just put on some eyeliner and get ready for next week. <laughs> your Byronic hair. Yes, yes, so Byronic. Oh my god, it's yeah. I'm, I have Byrony poisoning 